I love that moment as Michael Scott cries out, the machine knows, the machine knows, because that's exactly how we use GPSs, right? We, we don't know, the machine knows, or we just go, and it says turn right, we turn right, hopefully not into a lake, uh, but the machine knows, and so we follow uh, where it leads. And listen, we're so glad you're here today. My name's Ethan Magnus, one of the pastors, and if you're a guest with us today, boy, you're in the right place. Uh, we're continuing a series called GPS. It's a series about you, about me, about us, about what it means for us to to follow God on the mission that he's invited us to, to be on mission with Jesus, uh, what what it looks like for us to just let Jesus chart the trajectory of our lives, and we're calling it GPS. Uh, And if you have a GPS and you use one for any amount of time at all, you already know the most annoying words in the GPS lexicon. You know this word, right? right? Recalculating, recalculating, and depending on how many times it has to say the word, that's just how bad things are, right? Recalculating, still recalculating, right? And then if it, if it just gives up, it'll do this. It'll, it'll say, make a U-turn when possible. What do you mean make a U-turn? It's your job to tell me when it is possible. I mean, that's basically the GPS saying, I've given up. I can't help you anymore. Find your own way. I mean, right, this is, but but, but this, this word, recalculating, it, it's your clue that something has gone wrong, right? I mean, it could be lots of different things. Maybe it's that you missed a turn, you know, not a big deal. You'll, you'll get the next one. It'll figure it out. Or, or maybe some of you have these GPSs where it takes traffic into account, right? And if like, there's a traffic jam ahead of you, it'll suggest some alternate route to help you avoid the traffic jam. So maybe, maybe it's not your fault at all. It's just the, the bridge is out or the road's jammed or something like that. I often find that I get recalculating when my GPS wants me to go one way and I want to go a different way and I just refuse to pay attention to my GPS and it will recalculate all the way to where we're going. Every time I drive to Boone, I don't know how my GPS wants me to go, but it's not how I go to Boone and I go to Boone the way I go to Boone and it will recalculate me all the way to Mass General Store. Like until I I pull in the parking lot at destination. I'm like, I know I'm at destination. I've been going to the destination the whole time. Thank you very much. But but, so, but all, for all kinds of reasons, you can get this recalculating principle. And, and, and the logic behind it is very simple. The logic is this. The computer of that little GPS is committed to get you to your destination, even if it has to change the route. The route may change, you may miss a turn, the bridge may go out, there might be traffic, but the computer is saying, whatever we have to do, however much we have to recalculate the route you go, the destination is unchanged. And there's an important principle for that in the life of the church. Because our destination, as we saw last week, our destination, our mission must always be unchanged. Because we didn't give ourselves our own mission. Jesus gave it to us to seek and save the lost, to, to go everywhere and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them. The invitation we get to offer isn't the invitation to come join our church or come become a Christian. We can only offer the invitation Jesus offered. Come join the mission. Come become a disciple. Come follow Jesus as your Savior and Lord. But here's the thing. What's true on a road trip is true in the church. If our destination, if our mission is going to stay unchanged, then our strategies 
often will need to change. I know that seems surprising. It, it kind of seems like if the mission was unchanged, then when whatever strategies worked in the past, they'll keep working, and we're just going to keep working the same strategies forever. But if you've ever taken a road trip of any length of time, you know that never happens. You never end up driving the exact same set of roads you think you're going to drive when you set out. And, and the same is true for us. And in fact, this has always been true in the church. A commitment to the unchanging mission Jesus gave us has always meant a, a constant evaluation of the strategies needed to get there. We see this all the way back. Uh, there was a guy named Paul. He was a very early convert to Christianity. Uh, he was a, a, a Jew, kind of raised as a serious, committed Jew. He had a, had a revelation of Jesus Christ and became one of the most powerful missionaries of the early church movement. Just an amazing force for the mission of Christ. And, and, and early on in his ministry, Paul had decided on his main mission strategy. Uh, we can see it described lots of places. Acts chapter 14 is a pretty good example. This is Paul's normal mission strategy. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. Here, there, as usual. This is what they normally did. This was their deal. They spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews, who refused to believe, stirred up other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against their brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it. And so they fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. This is Paul's normal mission strategy. And it works amazingly well in city after city after city. Step one, go there and find a synagogue. Step two, preach. Step three, get some converts. Step four, perform some miracles. Step five, stir up trouble and leave for the next town. That was just Paul's normal strategy. He does this in city after city after city until we get to Acts chapter 16. And then we get a little stretch where that strategy isn't working. And Paul keeps changing his strategy in about every city he visits. Acts chapter 16, verse 11, he arrives in the city of Philippi. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. The next day, we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath... When, according to his normal strategy, he would go preach in the synagogue, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. There is no synagogue. So they go looking for any place that God-believing people might have gathered to pray. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. This means she was a Gentile, but who, who believed in the one true God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. New city, new place, new challenges. His old strategy won't work. So Paul adopts a new strategy. 
meet people at the place of prayer, convert Lydia. And instead of the synagogue becoming the base of his ministry operations, Lydia's house does. And the church that's founded in her house becomes one of the strongest churches of the region. They fund Paul's missionary journeys to the next several cities that he visits. They even mail him money all the way in Corinth so that he can be in ministry full time. Now, the next city he goes to is Thessalonica. And there, his old strategy works. Acts 17, 1 through 4. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom. Remember, this is his normal strategy. He's back to the normal thing. Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah has to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Back in Thessalonica, where the synagogue is strong and thriving, Paul is right back to his old strategy. Paul hadn't given up on the old strategy in Philippi. It just didn't work in Philippi. And for Paul, if his mission never changes, then sometimes his strategies must. But back in Thessalonica, the old strategy works. He's arguing according to the scriptures. He's teaching in the synagogue. He gets a lot of converts, and he stirs up some trouble, just like he usually did. You can read on in chapter 17. He goes to the town of Berea, where he largely does the same thing. There's a synagogue there. They discuss the scriptures. Many are converted. He stirs up a little trouble, and then he moves on. But in Athens... A whole new strategy emerges. He does work some in the synagogue in Athens, but that's not where his big ministry effectiveness is in Athens. There, it's this new thing he'd never encountered before, the philosopher's school that invite him to come and preach. We can read about it in Acts 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them said, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating for foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And so then they took him. And they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. The Areopagus was a hill that overlooks the city of Athens where the philosopher's school would gather and debate the fundamental truths of the universe. And there they said to him, May we know about this new teaching that you are presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we like strange ideas. We want to know what they mean. And Paul goes on to preach a sermon. You can read it. It's so interesting. The sermon he preaches in Athens is completely different than the sermon described in Thessalonica. In Thessalonica, he's quoting quoting scripture. He's talking about the Messiah. He's arguing from God's word that Jesus is the Messiah. In Athens, he quotes Greek poets. He quotes pop culture. He references current events. And he argues from there to tell them the truth about Jesus. And he hardly mentions scripture at all. How could the same person have such totally different strategies? Well, it's because he's got one mission. To reach people for Jesus Christ. And the strategy by which he accomplishes that mission is determined by who he's trying to reach. It turns out it's precisely because Paul's mission never changes that his strategy 
so often does. He even describes this truth in a letter to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Paul says, I've been given one mission by Jesus, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching. I've got one mission, and it can't change. It's not optional. I don't get to wiggle on my mission. My mission is set, and because my mission is set, my strategy has to change every new person that I meet, every new context that I'm in, every new culture that I enter. I've got to analyze what is the right strategy for accomplishing the unchanging mission that God has given me. And and the church today has got to get great, has got to get better at this fundamental principle, that when our context changes, our strategies change precisely because our mission never can. We, we see this throughout church history. Uh, when the church was launched, it was launched in house churches. They met in back rooms and inner courtyards and basement dungeons because they they were illegal in most places and the church would have been shut down if they were too public about it. But then just as soon as Christianity is legalized, they build great buildings, basilicas we called them, with tall spires so that every town you entered you could see where the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed. Why the change? Were house churches holier than basilicas? Were basilicas better than house churches? Well, no, of course not. The change in strategy didn't mean the mission had changed. It meant their context had changed and the mission was unchanged. Uh, in, our own, in our own nation, in the early days of the frontier experience, as, as, as westward expansion uh, was rapidly growing, we had a crisis of discipleship in the church. There weren't enough people educated to preach the gospel. Some churches wouldn't have a preacher roll through, but once or twice a year, And so this crisis created the need for a brand new missionary strategy. They they, they called it Sunday school. They invented this brand new thing. Nobody ever heard of this thing called Sunday school, but it was really a simple idea. We're going to teach people how to read so that they can read the Bible for themselves so that there can be discipling communities even if no preacher shows up to preach. That discipleship can happen. And there was an explosion of discipleship in our country built on this brand new mission strategy that we think of as it's just, oh, it's the thing every church always does. But it wasn't. For thousands of years, no church had ever thought of that until somebody said we need a new mission strategy for our present cultural context because we can't let the mission change and our old strategies aren't working because we're all too spread out and preachers can't get there to preach. And, and this just keeps being true. It, it's still true for us today. We're always recalculating our strategies 
with an unchanging mission. And we have to do this for lots of reasons. Uh, sometimes we do, you, you have to recalculate your strategy because you missed a turn. You, you just did. There was a shift in the culture and you didn't see it happen and you look around and you realize that a strategy that once was super effective for the church now just isn't working. I grew up right at the end of, um, <clears throat> of a strategy that had worked for, in America for about 120 years. Uh, it was called the revival. Some of you know what a revival is. You, you would schedule a, a night, night of meetings, maybe a whole week or maybe Tuesday through Sunday or something like that. And every night of the week, the people of the church would come and their friends would come. People would drive for miles night after night after night to hear visiting preachers preach. And you would end with a big commitment ceremony. And these were huge events in their communities. And every church had them on a different week throughout the summer. It was an amazing thing. Well, I doubt 2% of churches today still hold revivals. Well, what, what happened? Did we all give up on the gospel? Well, no. We looked around and we noticed nobody was coming to them anymore. In fact, I know some churches that held on to them long after they stopped being missionary effective. The only people that came were the people who were already coming on Sunday morning. No, no non-Christians were coming at all. And so maybe they missed the turn and they realized, oh, that strategy isn't working or, or maybe a, you've, got a, you've got a strategy that used to be evangelistic. It used to bring in lots of people far from God, but now you've realized, oh my goodness, this strategy is just reaching the people who are already Christians. It's not reaching any new people anymore. Sometimes churches have to recalculate their strategies uh, because they, they see ahead of them. They, they see coming a shift in the culture that they want to try to respond to. Uh, here's the thing. Our mission field is always a brand new mission field. See, Paul had to, had to travel from one city to the next to the next. But what we've discovered is all we have to do is stay in one place for 20 years, and we live in a brand new mission field. Every generation, the culture changes, the questions of the generation change, the needs of the generation change, the strategies that they'll respond to changes. So as a church, we're not going to change our mission ever. We've got the right destination. The destination of advancing the gospel is the right destination, and we're headed to the right place. But sometimes you've got to say, hey, I think the road that used to take us there isn't going to get us there anymore. Let's try some new roads and, and see what works. We, we have this phrase we use right here. We're going to give grace and try stuff precisely because we see this happening around us. We see strategies that maybe used to be super effective aren't as effective as they used to be. So we're going to try some things to see what God will bless and what will be effective in our context. What's a new road look like? Maybe it's a new program or new music or new preaching or new building. I know what it requires, though. It requires for all of us to do what Paul did, to say to the Jews, I'll become a Jew, to the Gentiles, a Gentile, to the weak, weak. I, I, I'm going to give up my preferences for the sake of those who are not yet followers of Christ. And of course, sometimes what that means is you go back and use an old road again. That, that was the secret of Paul's success is whenever an old strategy would work, he always used it first because why not use what has worked? And we, we, don't, we do that as a church too. Sometimes you always say, oh, that new road we tried, it didn't work at all. We're going to go back and try the old road and see if that'll work in this moment. Why do you try all these new strategies? Why do you ever do anything different? Well, it's because the mission can't change to reach lost people, to make disciples. It actually turns out, just like when your GPS says it, it's precisely because we're committed to the same destination that every once in a while you gotta go looking for a new route to get you there more effectively than the old route. 
And this truth, and maybe this is what you can take home today, this truth isn't just true at the macro level. It's not just true at the church level, at the program level. It's also true for your life. You have been called to this mission of reaching lost people. And it often happens in our lives that we can look back at a season where all we had to do was just live our regular life. And we were constantly being brought into relationship with people that were far from God, constantly given opportunities for evangelism. And then you look around 20 years later and you didn't change your strategy, but now you're not at the front edge of mission. Well, that happens. Roads don't always go where we think they're going to go. That's why every once in a while, maybe some of you need to recalculate your life strategy so that you can get more on to the mission of making disciples. Paul says this, become all things to all people. That's what he says. In light of that, I have a little a quiz for you, okay? I'm going to give you a list of things, a list of objects, and I want you to see if you can determine what these have in common, okay? You've seen these like on little quizzes and stuff, right? I'm going to give you a list of objects. You tell me what they have in common, okay? Ready? Number one, fantasy football. Number two, commercial real estate. Number three, veggie chili. Number four, tofu. Number five, Magic the Gathering. It's a card game if you don't know. Number six, the Quran. Number seven, professional wrestling. Okay, what does this, what do all the items on this list have in common? Are you ready? Let's go through it again. Fantasy football, commercial real estate, veggie chili, tofu, Magic the Gathering, the Quran, and professional wrestling. Do you, you think you know? You got it in your head what you think this list has in common? Here's what this list has in common. Ready? These are all things I have pretended to care about in order to reach people for Jesus Christ. That's what that list is. And uh, we could go longer. And maybe you've got your list too. Uh, uh, all things, I, and some of them I actually even learned to care about. I actually got so I enjoyed uh, Reggie Chili. Um, but, you know, so, but the, all of these things, every single one of them, I have pretended to care about so that I might reach people who are far from God. And I laughed as I was putting together the list. I did kind of enjoy it. But every one of these people, um, commercial real estate. I actually started reading a blog on trends in commercial real estate. So I'd have something to talk to this guy about. And five years after I started reading that blog, I was at his baptism. Magic the Gathering. I bought a deck of cards so I could play with this kid who... Grandmother wanted me to get to know him, and he didn't care about anything but Magic the Gathering, and he wouldn't come to church, but he'd play Magic the Gathering with me. We had to play twice a month, for months, I don't even know how many, before he came to church, and then came on a retreat. I got to see him get baptized too. I read the whole Quran once in a deal with a friend of mine. She said she would read the New Testament if I read the Quran. And so I read the Quran. She didn't read the whole New Testament, but she did read the Gospel of John. And that was enough to start a conversation. I don't know where her journey is going to end yet. But, but something started. I had a whole lot of tofu once. <laughs> for Jesus. <laughs> hey, I'm just saying, do you, do you have a list like that? You know? You know? Would you eat tofu if it helps somebody know Jesus? You know, what, what of your preferences, what of your biases, what of your desires, 
Would you, uh, would you give up? Would you sacrifice for the sake of building a relationship with somebody that might lead them to Christ, you know? You know, maybe you've got some people you love, you know, and, and you're like, I don't understand. I keep telling them what a sinner they are. I keep telling them how wrong they are. I keep telling them what a bad person they are, and they won't come to church with me. I don't know what's going on. Well, maybe you should try a new strategy. Maybe you should feed them or love them or, I don't know, feed them. God, go back to that, you know. Serve them. I don't know. I just know that if I'm committed to the destination and I come to a road closed sign, I'm not going to just sit there and say, well, this is the road I've always used. I've always used this road. This has always been the road I've always used. I started, I did this the other day. Have you done this recently? You know, we used to have that road that takes you to Asheville, 19E, right? You know, that beautiful little windy road. And now they've replaced it with this really amazing highway, but it's not nearly as nostalgic. You remember that little quilt shop that used to be on the side of 19E? I love that little quilt shop. So just the other day, I just decided for kicks, I was going to drive 19E to Asheville, the old road, just to see what it was like. I lasted 10 minutes. I turned around and back on that highway. That new road is awesome. That old road was ridiculous. You only think you like driving to Asheville that way, okay? You did not. It's terrible. That new road is amazing. And that's all we're saying here. We're, we're saying if the mission hasn't changed, if the destination hasn't changed, but the people have changed and your situation has changed, maybe you'll need to sacrifice some of your favorite stuff to love some people far from God. Maybe even tofu. I don't know. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. That little voice, recalculating, it, it's still annoying. It means something has gone wrong. And, I, and I, I, every time I'm tempted to just ignore it. But I don't. I listen to that little voice. Because I am more committed to the destination I'm headed to than I am whatever road I plan to use to get there. And that's what's true for our church and it's true for the mission God has planned for you. The mission for you and for us is set. And God will lead us down whatever twist and turn God needs to to get us onto that mission. And so what I hope for you is that maybe our commitment will be the same as Paul's. That the mission comes first. And everything else we're willing to give up. Maybe our prayer as we close could be this. God, though we are free and belong to no one, we will make ourselves a slave to everyone so that we might win as many as possible. Give us the strength, God, by your Spirit to become all things to all people so that by all possible means we might save some and we do this God for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we may share in its blessings and it's in Jesus name we pray amen